Exceptionally Average, the podcast that shares the real and inspiring stories of normal, everyday people. I am your host, Ashley Mason, and I have a very special episode for you today. It has been a long, long time coming. I recorded today's episode way back in 2019, which, oh my God, feels like a lifetime ago, but it was due to air right as COVID was hitting the fan here in Melbourne in Australia, and it just didn't seem right, so I made the really hard decision to pull the last two episodes of our second season. But these episodes were so special, so I still wanted to share them with you. So today I have for you Angie Green. Angie grew up in a successful footballing family, but it was that exposure to football culture that gave her a first-hand experience of the discrimination that exists towards the LGBTIQ community in sport. People in this community are four to five times more likely to commit suicide than heterosexuals, which is a statistic that Angie is determined to reduce. After losing four male friends to suicide, she set about a path to fighting the inequality that exists in Australian sport. Angie founded Stand Up Events, an organisation that raises awareness of and fights against the discrimination towards LGBTIQ community in sport. I'm so excited to finally be able to share this episode with you, so let's get into it. Here's Angie. me. Thank you for being here. Uh, you come very highly recommended by Ange. Rowan. Yes. Oh, she's lovely. Yeah. I, I couldn't speak, yeah, highly enough of her. She's a legend. It's funny she couldn't speak highly enough yeah. of you either. So Aww. it's just this happy little friendship. But yeah. Obviously she was in season one of the show yep. and as soon as we finished, she was like, oh my God, you need to speak to Ange. Oh, <laughs> she like put me so in touch with you. And yeah, so I've been really looking forward to this chat yeah, for a long awesome. time. Yeah. Me too. Um, I thought we'd start with, obviously, you were the founder and CEO of Stand Up Events Australia. Uh, let's start with who you are and what you do and what Stand Up is. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah, my name's <laughs> Angie Green. I'm 32 years old. I'll be 33 in March. Um, currently nearly 36 weeks pregnant. <laughs> very which, heavily pregnant. Yeah, very heavily <laughs> pregnant. I'm probably still gasping from coming, coming up the stairs. Um, but yeah, I, I've been doing, uh, I founded Stand Up um, at the beginning of 2015. Uh, I do it full time. It's my full time job, um, which is incredible because I literally started something that is now my my full time job, but given the the nature of the work that we do at stand up, it's um it can be really brutal at times, yeah, and uh, really difficult. Um, but to be able to work on your number one passion in life is a real blessing. Uh, so, absolutely love what what I do, what we do, and. Yeah, apart from that, got a beautiful fiance, Sam. We've been together for six years. Got an awesome little Labrador called Henry. And, oh, amazing! Um, yeah, no, I wish he brought Henry. Oh, I just, he. <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't have anything done. I would have just made you have like yeah. weird padding sounds. He's, in the uh, he's <laughs> a real dag. So oh, yeah, cute. Yeah, let's go right back. Tell us about what you were like yeah. as a kid and what your childhood was like. Um. Oh, I think I, I, I definitely a tomboy <laughs> yeah. growing up. Um, I grew up with two older brothers. Um, I was 
um, yeah, was had a really lovely childhood. Um, I really respect my parents. They're both really hard workers um, and, you know, the, they have given us or did give us a, a really beautiful upbringing with lots of happy memories. Um, yeah, I just remember kind of being a bit of a tomboy. I was, I've always also been a bit awkward, um, <laughs> especially I was, I was born legally blind in my left oh, wow. eye. And so I always had, well, not always, sorry, but I had these two major operations just to keep them naturally straight or move with, move with the right one. And so yeah. for a really long time growing up, I had to wear a patch. Oh, wow. So like a lot of the kids at kinder and what have you thought that I was a bit unique, which um, is fair <laughs> to say. Kids but, would have thought you were like a pirate or something. Yeah, like a hundred percent. But no, in, in general, like a really happy upbringing, um, really supportive family, um, you know, just I, I always – one thing I do remember like growing up till now is like just always loved being around people and good people. And um, I think from like a really early age just had maybe a pretty strong sense of social justice, I yeah. guess. And um, yeah, it really affected me at school when I saw people getting bullied or hurt or left out or, yeah. or what have you. So um, I know my upbringing from a really young age has, yeah, kind of led me to the work that I do today. And you spend a lot of time in front of people and obviously helping people and giving speeches and things. Were you like that as a kid too? Like were you always up on stage or were you sort of? No, it's, it's, I don't know whether people will believe this or (laughs) or not, Um, but I think I'm a real mixed bag. Like I, I genuinely love being alone. Like I, I love being alone. I love reading. I love meditating. I love going to movies by myself. Quite Um, introverted. Yeah. Really, really quite introverted. Um, I'm a really deep thinker, which can cause problems at times, at times a hundred percent. But, um, and I actually, even though I do a lot of speaking events, um, you know, at conferences, panels, what have you, I genuinely get, it doesn't matter that it's been five years. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not my comfort zone and I get really, really nervous yeah. beforehand um, and during. it. It's not something that sits comfortably with me, but I don't really know um, how to explain it other than it's because I'm so passionate about what I do that that passion yeah, yeah overrides yeah. everything yeah. else whereas um yeah if there was another topic or you know if someone said oh yeah. and we've written a speech for you you know like just get up there and I, I, there's no way I could <laughs> I, I could not do it yeah, so wow. yeah it's um I think people think that I'm really outgoing and I I am to an extent but I'm also yeah. heavily introverted as yeah. well I think there's a bit of a misconception too that introverts only want to spend time with themselves and extroverts only want to spend time with other people. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And it's like, it's not, it's, uh, there was someone gave me a really good definition, de- really good definition. And it was that you, it comes down to how you like to recharge. So for me, yes. like I'm super 
extroverted yeah. and I recharge with other people. Yes. Um, like I remember when I was in uni, like I'd go and sit at a cafe just to be like around people yeah. and, or if I'm feeling like tired, like, oh, or if I have a free afternoon, I'll like message everyone and be like, yeah. who wants to hang out with yeah. me? Like, yeah. Whereas like my friends that are quite introverted, they're just like, no, no, I need some introvert time. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, that was a really nice way of thinking about it. It's like yeah. how you recharge, not necessarily like whether you like being alone or with other people. Yeah. No, yeah. and that's completely right. Like if I have a big week of social events or work events yeah. or what have you, it's like after that probably I'll I'll just be yeah. alone to the best of ability for like two weeks after that because yeah. it's like I just need, need my – Yeah. Your own time. That's yeah. How, yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I look after myself. But yeah. <laughs> um, and you said as a kid that you were quite a tomboy. In what yeah. way? Like you – did you play a lot of sport? I know you came from quite a sporting family. Yeah, I guess, yeah, a lot of a lot of – sport um you grew up with brothers but yeah grew, yeah. I grew up with brother, brothers and you know I just never um not that you know I'm not super heavy into gender norms or what have you but never liked wearing um you know dresses or pretty colors mm-hmm. if you will um the sports I did weren't necessarily girl orientated yeah, like, either so like quote, yeah, unquote, footy, sports, cricket, yeah. surfing yeah. you know what this is when I yeah, was like yeah. quite young yeah um so yeah I just um but I was also very I wasn't made um made to feel different because of that like that's just yeah. exactly who who I was and I don't think that that has changed a lot um whilst growing up or going through teenagers I've just never had a lot of interest in things that I guess people or society would um, deem as overly feminine mm. or or what have you. So, um, yeah, and growing up with two brothers, I guess that that, yeah, may have had some impact. But, um, yeah, it just was a very yeah. natural yeah, yeah. Yeah, thing for me. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about some of that because I know there's a couple of big names sporting names in your family yeah I'm background story and disclaimer not a sporting person that's a lie I so I like (laughs) yeah I grew up playing sport Mm. I absolutely love sport I just have never been one to watch it so when people throw like AFL player names around I'm like Uh, sorry who yeah no totally (laughs) and I I totally get that and this like it really surprises people um when I do say that I actually don't love sport and it surprises people because a of the work that we do we stand up which is is completely sport orientated (laughs) especially male team dominated um orientated and then yeah grew up like my oldest brother um played with Hawthorne for um five years my dad Russell is in the Hawthorne Hall of Fame and my pop Frank Sedgman won like like 22 tennis grand slams and and what have you. And that's like, um, you know, it's, yeah, like super proud of them for their achievements and what have you. But it's quite fascinating because I know a lot of other kids that grew up in professional sporting families, Mm. if you will, and, um, you know, they're so loyal to their clubs and they, they absolutely love sport and what have you. But growing up, I just didn't want a bar of it. Um, and, yeah, I guess being exposed to that culture um, and, like, really exposed to it, especially from a really young age, I just 
I really didn't like it, yeah. and it and it turned me off loving sport. The sport. Yeah. yeah, why yeah. was that? I just um from from such a young age, and this is when I I certainly couldn't articulate it or mm. digest it properly or what have you. So I I don't know really how to explain it, but mm. I just when I I don't know, being like a a young woman mm. or what have you, being, you know, exposed to that real male dominated, like, you know, provide like just a very masculine, yeah. you know, energy um, from a really young age. I just knew that I, d- I don't know, there was just something about it that I, I knew was a bit off or that I didn't enjoy. It was just an energy to, initially to yeah. begin with. I was just like, I didn't like going down to the changing rooms. Like back then you could. Mm. Um, and just, you know, when certain parties or events might happen or what have you, I was just like, oh, I'm just not interested. And then when I could, you know, when I was understanding a bit more about um, or could articulate things that were happening in society or seeing, you know, certain subcultures arise or what have you. I just mm. I just found the culture that I was exposed to um quite toxic. I found it sexist. I found it homophobic. I found it racist. Um and essentially if you were and don't get me wrong, like I love men. I'm not a male <laughs> basher at at all. Mm. Um but something that I you know, very much in my, in my teenage years, I was just like, all I see is p- powerful white straight men. Mm. And definitely I noticed it was interesting. Like I definitely noticed a shift in individual behavior compared to when they were all together, like a very much like a packed kind of mentality, yeah. which with the work that we've been doing, you know, over the past five years with stand up, I, I don't think a well, I know that like not a lot has changed and I find that very fascinating because I do feel like a lot of cultures have progressed or moved on or what have you. And don't get me wrong, I think we're, oh, my God, like we're having amazing conversations now. But in terms of like conversations and awareness compared to actually changing culture, yeah. Um, or visibility or what have you like mm. it's it's it just feels like one of the only cultures that I can think of where nothing's changed really it's really interesting you say that because I I've never really been a fan of footy either and I wasn't I didn't grow up playing it so it's not even that I was exposed to mm. the culture when I was younger but I think into my teens as I started hanging out with people that perhaps did play footy or I was just like in uni and I was sort of around it a little bit more with uni games mm. and stuff like that. Um, I, I actually said to my partner sort of earlier this year because in some ways soccer is a little bit the same. He plays soccer. Mm. Um, but I think they're not quite at the same level of footy in terms of that like culture. But 
I remember saying to him, like I was standing on the sidelines and I, one day I turned around and I was like, you know why? Like I think I've realised as an adult why I hate coming here. It's because it's not a nice place to be. Yeah. Like you stand on the sidelines and I suppose as a kid with when you were young, mm. as a kid with quite a strong sense of social justice, mm. like you said, to stand there and just hurling abuse and, you know, abusing the umpire and abusing the other players and yelling and screaming and then everyone's got a beer in hand and so everything's mm. only fueled by alcohol and it's just not a like a nice environment mm. and I look around at the little kids at the sporting games yep. and I'm just like god I just want to like take them away yeah. and get them out and like mm. this isn't normal behavior but um it's also funny you say that thing about pack mentality because literally just last week I had a girlfriend saying that her boyfriend and I can't even remember the context of this conversation, but she was saying her boyfriend's really different around the mm. footy guys versus <laughs> yeah. her. Yeah. And that's still, it's yeah. funny you say that's still very much a, a thing and it's that hasn't changed. Yeah. I want to go back to your experience of what it was like for your brother because I know that's a big part of why you started Stand Up. So yeah. take us back to when you were sort of 12 or 13, you weren't mm. a fan of the culture in the first mm. place. What was it about your brother's experience that really affirmed that for you? Yeah, so my oldest brother, who is straight, he's the mm. one that um, played with Hawthorne. Um, and I have a middle brother, Brent, who came out to me when I was 13 years old and he was 16. And I and at first he told you he was bisexual. I think I read in an article that maybe he told. Yeah, he yeah. told I, um no, well, he he told me that he was gay, yeah. but he told other people a bit later on that he was um, bisexual and sadly the reason why that was is because um, of expectations of others. He thought it might, like, soften the blow and yeah. that there might be, and back at that time, yeah. you know, like, um, you know, that, if he said that he was bisexual, that, you know, maybe he didn't strip away the thought that he'll never get to his parents and what have mm -hmm. you. He, yeah. he, he'll never get married or have children yeah. or what have you, which we know, yeah. you know, same-sex couples and people can. Um, but 15 he, years ago that was yeah, very different. Not, yeah, yeah, as of 2017. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so he, but he came out, he told me that he was gay when I was 13, he was 16 and, um, you know, that again just reaffirmed to me, um, of course the first thing that I didn't think of was sport, um, yeah. like just thinking of a, a lot of other things, but, you know, Brent, like so many other gay, bisexual and transgender people intentionally excluded himself from male team-dominated sport at around the age of 15, 16 um, because of the culture which is intentional and unintentional. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it was really, I guess, um, he didn't tell the rest of the family for a couple of years and, you know, it was really difficult to see um, to see his experience. He, mm. you know, he he and he has spoken publicly about it. Like, you know, he felt a lot of guilt, shame, and embarrassment for for who he naturally was. And you know, I think I said to you over the phone 
Ash, that one of my biggest fears is like Brent grew up and does have like an incredibly loving and supportive and unconditional family and friends and what have you. Like when he came out to the rest of the world, nothing happened, you know, like that, like life went on and um, it was received incredibly positively and what have you. And I just always think to myself, if he went through that, when he did have a solid Mm. foundation, I just can't imagine what other people go through that, that don't. Um, And yeah, so definitely, yeah, the very much the experience of, um, yeah, my family as a whole, mm. um, not in spite, but very much sparked the passion of what I do now and what we do now. Um, and yeah, I think I told you over the phone as well, you know, having lost, um, you know, four friends to suicide before the age of 30, um, all men, and then, you know, comparing genders, mm. you know, comparing men to women yeah. um, and then comparing sexualities like the the rainbow community, if you mm. will, compared to um, the heterosexual yeah, yeah. community. It just the significant percentage yeah. of, you know, attempts to um, concluded suicides is just it's uh, it skyrockets and it just yeah. frightens me so much you know some of those stats off the top of your head yeah absolutely so men are twice twice as likely than women to take their own lives um you then put the non-hetero and gender diverse community into the equation they're four to five times more likely than straight people to take their own lives um 14 higher to attempt Suicide, with that average age being around 16, with 50% of the trans community, 50% will attempt suicide at least once in their lives. And like that to me is just so incredibly frightening. Very scary. Yeah, and very confronting. And And like you said, your experiences you've had for male friends commit suicide before 30 like yeah. it yeah and it's it's interesting I was reading when I was sort of preparing for this interview I was reading an article I think in the Sydney Morning Herald and mm-hmm. um it was essentially saying I don't know if it's a quote from your brother or if it was just sort of written this way but um it was saying that Brent very much didn't feel welcome mm-hmm. in in the football community mm-hmm. and uh, we were just saying off mic before we jumped on about mm. uh, the episode in the first season. If anyone hasn't listened to it, go back and listen. It's uh, with Ben DePetro, uh, one of my close friends who's gay, and he was saying that, I mean, that's why we had this whole conversation because he had a lot of mental health issues which started before he really even knew he was gay. He had some issues in childhood and um then adding to the mix that he came out as gay and he was playing football at the time and he was with the Western Jets and he was told in no uncertain terms by like officials at the club that we know you're gay, keep it to yourself. Mm. Um, and he had the same thing. I think the way mm. he would describe it is he just didn't feel welcome. Like, mm. And I think people, it's really, this is what I find super fascinating because, you know, I've I've spoken to you know, so many people, you know, within the culture. So, mm. foot, you know, footballers or 
um, male athletes, and I'm talking from grassroots all the way to AFL and A League soccer, and you know what, what you know what mm. have you. And um, it's interesting because there's this. I feel like I am generalizing, but I feel like there's a kind of blanket statement of what. Well, oh, we are welcoming and mm. like absolutely no issue, yeah. and you know what have you. And it's like, okay, that's really interesting. And then I'll ask an AFL club, and this is someone's workplace, I'll ask a playing group at an AFL club and not to like point fingers and I'll say, look, how many of you say or hear the following language, faggot, poof, homo, you know, what have you, Um, how many, sorry, say or hear it with, you know, on a weekly basis. And a hundred percent of hands go up every yeah. time. It's just like the norm. Yeah, yeah, it is the norm. And I know that that like, and people go, oh, I don't intentionally like, I don't intentionally mm. mean that. Mm. And it's like that's all well and good. Mm. But are you telling me that if you were out on the street at a bar mm. and you called someone an abo, mm. not meaning it, yeah, there would. Like, you know it's offensive. The yeah. person who receives the yeah. impact doesn't care whether it's intentional or yeah. not. It still has the direct ramifications of exclusivity yeah. and, you know, a detrimental impact. It's not enough to say, like, it's just a joke. Oh, well, this is like, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. We know it's not. Like, yeah. just grow up and totally. take responsibility for it. And I think it's really interesting, especially, like, I'm all for people, like there are still things 100% in areas of the world that I I have to learn and understand mm, and appreciate yeah. and what have you. Like I, you know, I understand that no one is perfect and people will make mistakes and what have you, but it's learning from them mm. and what I personally find really difficult, and this has happened a lot professionally in the past five years, especially in the last two, where like as you're saying, ignorance is not an excuse mm. anymore. Like we do know so much better. Another thing that I find really detrimental is, you know, we've had people like Sam Newman on our screens for so long who mm. have ju- who has literally just intentionally bullied people for as long as I can remember, but gotten away with it. Yeah. And, you know, you see people like Wayne Carey who has been a domestic abuser and who has glassed women, but he sits on the panel on White Ribbon Day on an, yeah. on an, yeah, in yeah. an AFL game. Like there's this real like lack of accountability yeah. and responsibility that can come with real like elite sport that I just find absolutely baffling and my one of my most recent occasions was it would have been last year um Chris Judd called me up and asked some facts around the trans community and I told him and then I asked him why he was asking me and he said oh you know we're doing I'm doing this thing tonight and we're speaking about it and I was like, hang on, I need so much more information <laughs> than that because unfortunately, especially with the trans community, we are not at a place where you can't 
umbrella term, you know, people like someone who transitions at the, starts transitioning at the age of three or four is going to have a very different experience to someone who transitions at 30 or 40 or 50 Mm. and male to female or female to male. Like there's just so much about it. And, you know, we had a really big conversation about that. And I even offered him, you know, Hannah Mouncey's number, who is the trans athlete that Mm. he was going to speak about that night and he refused it and I was just like this this is part of the problem and he went on then he went on you know tv national tv national tv and he's got a platform that not many other people have and started dishing out his opinion that was like I've always said this, you can have your opinions but you can't have your own facts and the facts that he labelled were not even remotely consistent with her case and I guess what I'm trying to say is like from every single level Mm. from like grassroots to the very top, we have, it's it's a really exclusive environment whether it's intentional or not. Yeah, and like you said, it's like this message that we're getting like, we're inclusive and we accept yeah. everyone, but how many like openly gay AFL footballers can you name? There's none, but statistically there there are oh, absolutely like, yeah like oh, no, the, exactly like no that's, and uh, that's yeah. exactly what you said about yeah. and like there was a really back to that article about your you and your family and your yeah. your brother and I read that he hasn't been to a footy game in years. I don't know if mm. that's changed since then, but like yeah. these like it's one thing for the like the hetero people, the big, rich, old white guys mm. sitting at the top to say we're inclusive and then for everyone else that's they're supposedly the ones that are meant to be feeling included are standing yeah. on the sidelines going, well, no, we're fucking not. Like- yeah, no, and that's like it. it's really interesting as well because there will be, you know, I see a lot of pride games happening and this is, again, on like every level mm. at, you know, it doesn't matter what sport yeah. it is. And that's awesome, like, you know, Mm. that kind of recognition that, you know, like, yes, we're putting on our rainbow colours and, you know, we love everyone and we're inclusive and what have you, but stand-up will not partner with any club unless they're doing internal work as well because Mm. it's it kind of it scares me a little bit because I, of course, won't name any, but I've spoken to quite a few clubs who are there like, oh, we're going to put your logo on this and we're going to do this game and it'll be fabulous. And I'm like, that is awesome. Like, thank you so much. Um, but I'm sorry. Are you, what are you, yeah. what, what are you actually doing what, yeah, within a club? What to, else? And, yeah. You know, we, and so we don't, yeah, like we don't partner with clubs unless they do the internal work as well because I'm, no, it sounds brutal, but like I'm just so, I'm so sick of pillow talk. I'm so sick of, you know, people saying, you know, we are inclusive and what have you. And it's like, okay, so if your coach calls one of the team guys like a faggot, are you going to stand up and say, mate, absolutely not. Like you're getting fined or you can't do that or what have you. And they're like, oh, to be honest, I probably wouldn't. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, that's yeah, part that's of the change. The is, yeah. yeah. Let's go right back to why you say this in the first place because you're very clearly very passionate, <laughs> which I yeah. love. But yeah. I want to I wanna yeah. get into like because I read somewhere that you were off on a holiday somewhere, I think, and then just like thought up stand-up events. Yeah, so yeah. tell us about 
I'm I, sure it wasn't quite as random as no, that, although maybe it, it was. It, like, kind of. <laughs> so I just went through this stage where, I don't know, I, like my background is in studying counselling and psychology. And you did that for like six years Yeah, or so, six right? years, yeah. 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 And I got to the end of my sixth year where I had to do something like a thousand hours of, of placement yeah. or what have you. So essentially like a significant amount of your time in the, mm. the last year is um, placement. And I remember doing it and feeling so incredibly disheartened and deflated because I was like, this is not what I want to do. And one of the reasons was is because, and I can say this, like I'm a very sensitive person and at the time I was working with students who were going home to horrific circumstances and what have you and I found it really, my view is like to be a good psychologist or counsellor, you have to be objective. You can't get, you know, emotionally um, involved and what have you. Whereas I was the opposite, (laughs) like, you know, I was going home and just crying and, you know, what have you. And I just, for, for what I'd been working so hard towards for, you know, the past five or six years and it was becoming day by day noticeably clearer to me that, this is not what I want to do with my future. I got really just, yeah, deflated and upset and I kind of took a step back. Um, I'd been with Sam, who's my now fiancé, mm-hmm. I'd been with Sam for maybe nine months or something and, you know, he's an absolute legend and we stayed together, thank God, and what have you. But I literally, like, I was literally like I – have to get out of here and I just need to be on my own because I was so foggy and I was really upset and you know, I just mm. I just felt really shit. Yeah. I was like, what am I doing? I was not in a good headspace. I wasn't in a good space mentally or emotionally. And so I kind of said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to save up. I'm going to go away for three or four months and just be completely by myself and work it out. And that was also even, that was a really big thing for me to do anyway because, um, like, I, again, something that people wouldn't believe, like, I am quite self-conscious and sometimes I don't have a lot of confidence in myself. So to be alone in foreign countries and whatever, I was like, oh, God. But I was like, (laughs) well, maybe this is the best thing for me to gain confidence. Anyway, so I went away. And yeah, for four months. And it was when I was, and I was like legit brutal. Like there were people along the way who's like, oh, Angie, I'll meet you in Budapest or what have you. And I was like, no, nah. <laughs> like I, I want, I, no, I was yeah. like, no, I need this to be like. All the introvert time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I was like, no, nah, I need this to be my like only selfish moment. Like I need yeah. to be alone. I need to think, I need to write, like whatever. And I didn't. And after probably like two months like or two months into the trip, I was like, okay, forget all about like, you know, what I've studied, what I'm meant to do, you know, what I think people think I should do or what's expected of me or I don't know, what, whatever. And I was like, what is the one thing that I'm really passionate about? And then it 
was born. Like I just, uh, you know, I kind of wrote down a few things and was really honest with myself, which was really confronting. And I didn't know what to do or what it necessarily looked like, but I knew that this was it. And then so for the first year, like I got back, registered stand-up and just learned absolutely every single thing from scratch to to make it happen and yeah yeah now we're coming into our sixth year and amazing yeah and I know there's a lot that stand up do from you've mentioned like you go and do speaking events you work yeah. with clubs directly um but tell us about the Monash University stuff because I yeah. think that's a bit that makes it really quite different to just other sort of not-for-profits yeah well we so absolutely and I hope mm, so because yeah. we've invested a lot uh in it so um yeah, so stand-up events essentially is a non-for-profit dedicated to fighting homophobia and sexual and gender discrimination in sport and in life. Um, so, and when, you know, started in 2015, um, I personally said, you know, because we do run events, like we we run fun run events yeah. and trivia nights and like all that kind of stuff and we have some amazing ambassadors on board that have raised awareness for us and, that's all well and good and there's definitely, you know, something in awareness campaigns and what have you. But I was very adamant that, like, unless we're making impactful, realistic and measurable change, what's the point? Like, we mm. actually want to change cultures. So we, on top of, um, yeah, running events which, um, you know, bring in a little bit of money for us and raise awareness um, in the community, Um and then, yes, yeah, speaking events, conferences, what have you. Back in at the very end of 2017, um, we hired Monash University for $100,000. So we had to raise that money um, and put our, you know, put our money where I'm at. Put, put our money where your mouth is. Yeah, yeah, yeah money yeah. where I'm at. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we hired Monash University to conduct world first research um, into why homophobia is still so prevalent within male team-dominated sporting codes. And based on that why, we then trained up um, – This sorry, this year was our pilot year. We then trained up three current AFL footballers, um, Tom Campbell from North Melbourne, Jaden Hunt from Melbourne, and Jordan Roughhead from Collingwood. Uh, we trained them up and we created customised preventative programs that – haven't been done before and the reason why we say preventative is it's like we don't want any more people to exclude themselves from sport we don't want people to think that their only option in sport is staying in the closet and pretending to be someone that they're not like we want to prevent these certain things from happening so um yeah this year we went into 16 recruited clubs um we delivered our programs absolutely free for clubs um, and we measured them. So before we arrived, short-term, long-term, and it's currently in the process with Monash um, doing data analysis. So in December we do receive a a final report with all of our findings Um, and what's been really exciting for us is we have had a a data sample Mm. and they have 
made a positive impact Amazing. and has been, yeah, well received, which is, I thank God because <laughs> we, you know, we, we really like, we really want to be authentic and, you yeah. know, have a lot of credibility backed up behind us, which, you know, it looks like hopefully now we, we do. Um, so yeah, very much the main goal of stand up at this stage in its life is to create actually that internal change that will hopefully affect, um, you know, it has an impact on people feeling like, you know, people do actually belong in sport and it's not just a tokenistic thing that a club says on their website or whatever. And you mentioned some ambassadors before. Who are some of the ambassadors that you have on board? Yeah, so the three that I just mentioned who are heaven um, and we're really lucky that we've got, you know, Oh, we've got Joe Danaher, um, Trent Cochin, uh, Melissa Hickey, Darcy Vessio, um, Ben Brown from North. Uh, we have, yeah, we we have an array of people who have just been incredible the entire time, um, whether that's outwardly or behind the scenes in terms of like getting connections with clubs and making, you know, there's, there's so much that happens behind the scenes. Um, and we've been incredibly lucky in that way because another thing that we're really adamant about is we don't care about profile, um, or, you know, what it might look like to have you on our website or what have you, if you don't actually back the cause and do the work, like you're off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is Bye. Like, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. And, and not in a bit like, you know, and we have like, we've had to absolutely do that in the past. And that's not to say that they're not incredible people, but we want people who are really proactive. So yeah. we've been really, really lucky in that, in that way. How long do you think it's going to change or how long do you think it's going to take before we see those changes that you're talking about at cultural level that at the moment you think we're still not seeing? Um, so something that is really interesting and that we've found is that it's not necessarily attitudes, but it's language and behavior. So meaning a lot of the responses that we have got back from the work that we've done has been like, oh my God, like wouldn't even think twice about it. If someone Mm. came out at the club, like Mm. doesn't bother me at all yeah. really like and a really high percentage yeah. of, of people participants saying mm. that but then there's almost a 100% strike rate of using that language of admitting that you know if that language is used they don't call it out they just let it happen and condone it and what have you yeah so it's like they don't match up like yeah. I say that I'm not a racist and I also do not use racist language. Yeah. Like it's, but there, there is this very real thing called casual homophobia where it's like, it doesn't mean what yeah. it, it's meant to mean. And you know, well, what it's have like you were saying before, like, yeah. oh, like I didn't mean it. Yeah. I don't, I don't actually mean it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, you do. You, yeah. <laughs> and also like just say something yeah. else. But anyway. Um, so I think, you know, like what's really got to happen is and what we really promote or try and drive heavily in our programs is that you know it it has to happen on an individual 
level. Mm. So that's a people not using the language and behavior, but that's also happening, which I actually think is a lot harder for a lot of people to do when they hear it or they see it, they do call it out. Mm. And then, and that's another thing that we've found. We've found that that would be heavily supported with the group. Like Mm. if someone was to be like, mate, don't use that language. People would be like, oh, yeah. they'd be like, oh, my God, I'm actually sorry. And then hopefully that creates a ripple effect and what have you. I definitely think that, you know, external factors, you know, help like Mm. all the kind of, you know, visible things in the media Mm. and the conversations and what have you. But just like anything, I I think it's, I think it's going to take a, a bit of time and it's yeah. also kind of like the, ch- the chicken and the egg as yeah. well in terms of like revisibility. You can't be what you can't see a mm. lot of the time and are people with the highest platforms um, don't feel comfortable being themselves mm. yet in yeah. that environment. So we just don't, yeah. we don't see it. Whereas I know for a fact if there was an openly out player, no one would use that language around them. Like not like absolutely not. And so, and that, so you're right. Cause I think at the end of the day, people are good. And it comes back to exactly like we said, it's that whole like casual homophobia. I didn't quite mean it. And if they could put a face to the yeah, the words that they were saying, they might be a little bit more aware. What do we do about the spectators? I'm curious to hear your opinion on that yeah. too because I feel like that's another big piece of the puzzle and I like for the same reason that you didn't like being around the footy club. Don't. I don't like being around yeah. it. Like what what do we do there? What I know. Needs to change? And that's a, like a, that's a, like that's a really big one as well because <laughs> I always say that like sports a byproduct of society Mm. and we still have a long way to go in society. Like 2017, we spent over $200 million to ask the very basic question or vote on the very basic question of whether two people in love of the same sex will marry each other. And that was deplorable. It was you know, we lost so many people during marriage equality. The, you know, lifelines went up by 60%. Um, my, from memory, the attempted suicide rate was around three and a half thousand, four thousand, like increase. Like it's, it was just so bad. Mm. And we were just speaking about basic human rights. Um, and you know, as we've spoken about before, whether you like sport or not, it's a, it's a religion in Victoria. We have a public holiday <laughs> for the parade. Like yeah. it is so outrageous. Again, like if you like it or not, yeah. that's what, you know, Melbourne Cup, like it's, we love, like we love sport. We love yeah. sport and it can really, really have a profound effect on people. And again, with the spectators, I don't know, it's an interesting one um, and we certainly haven't done any, research in there um at all uh to be completely honest and I know that they're you know I don't know whether you know Ash but like at the and I think they've been doing this for a couple of years now you know at the G and Eddie had and you know what have you they'll have you know um all these signs you know coming up on the tv screens that say you know if you feel threatened or you see or hear inappropriate Mm. behavior like text this number or what have you and you know there's more security than ever now in and like that's all 
that's all well and good, but I, at this stage in my life, I sincerely and genuinely think that it all comes down to a human level and raising awareness and being knowing that every single person is responsible for creating that change. Like everyone waits for like something huge and big to happen. Mm. For example, marriage equality happened and nothing's changed in sport. (laughs) You know, like it doesn't, you know, it, it, to me, it's like, we don't wait for these big things to happen. We, we make all these little things happen. Um, as we, as we grow and get older and what have you. And I I don't, I don't know, but it would be the same, like on an individual level, Yeah, it would be, and it's so much harder to do. Like I totally understand. But if you, if you hear or see something in the stands, like be brave and, and call it out. Like you have no idea who you might be helping by doing that or having the ripple effect of people going, Oh God, I wish I actually said yeah. that and I'm going to do that next time. And it gives permission for people to do the same. Yeah. I, on top of all that, it's interesting, good that you bring up marriage equality because I know on top of all the amazing things you do with stand up, you were an ambassador for the marriage equality around the time of that campaign. Yeah. And you actually went on stage and accepted Sia's award. <laughs> In, what was that, like 2016? Uh, 2016, yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. us how that happened and um, what that experience was like. Yeah, that was, I've never, ever been more, I've never been more nervous in my well, life. like you said before, you, yeah. you don't want to go off on yeah. stage. Like <laughs> it was just terrifying. And I, I screwed it up and I'll, I'll tell you how. So what I, what I loved is, how I got asked. So what happened is, so yeah, I got, um, yeah, the Australian marriage equality campaign asked if I'd be an ambassador and a Victorian representative. So doing a lot of work in Victoria, um, to yeah, assist with the Mm. yes campaign, of course, which, um, I did. And, uh, so I got this call and cause they kept on saying, I'll send you out a t-shirt. And I'm like, oh my God, absolutely. Like I'll wear whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it wasn't, it was, it'd been like a month and I still had no t-shirt and I was like, oh my God, I'm so, I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. Like they're like, no, we don't want her anymore. You know, like this is why they're, you know. And, yeah. yeah and this so is I, the way I'm gently totally, saying. Like, we yeah, don't like want they've just blocked me. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. Like blah, blah, blah. And anyway, then I get a call um, from a guy, Clint McGillray, who was instrumental in that he's like, to me, the biggest unsung hero in the whole campaign. Um, he was absolutely incredible. Anyway, he called me and he said, essentially, we put some people towards Sia and she has chosen you to accept her award at the Arias on behalf of marriage equality and I said, am I on Hamish and Andy right now? Like when they used to like block people. And Clint, yeah, and Clint thought that I said, will I get on Hamish and Andy? Like, will I? And he was like, um, I'm sure we could get. And I was like, no, no, no. What I'm saying, I was like, are you pranky, me? He's like, no, not at all. He's like, you've got to fly up to Sydney. We've got to speak about this. Like get on a flight essentially tomorrow. And I was you like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, what? And then it was like a backhand compliment because I 
got home because I was in the car when he called and I got home and I loved it. Like I said to my, I told, I wasn't allowed to tell anyone apart from my family. So I mm. told mum and dad and I loved their reaction. They were like, oh, you know, oh my God, that's amazing. But they were like, why you? <laughs> yeah. like this is And I'm like, you're right. Like I have no idea. And so I called, I called Clint and I just said, look, I, I'm not trying to dis- devalue myself or discredit you know, anything or, you know, what have you. And I just said, I've got to be honest though, like I'm a little bit confused because I genuinely hope that I haven't given you the impression that like, you know, like stand up or myself for like a big time. And I was like, no one knows who I am. (laughs) And he goes, that's exactly why you were chosen. (laughs) So it was kind of like, and I was like, oh, brutal. But that's Yeah. Yeah. And I said, oh, what do you mean? And, and, you know, he just said she wants someone who no one knows is just an average day Australian and, like, because this whole campaign is driven around people who will yeah. relate to people and vote yeah. for, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so we went <laughs> so to you fly up yeah, Sydney. Yeah, yeah, so we fly to Sydney, um, See his management give me a speech that Sia yep. had written. I got so nervous that when I went on the stage, I just scratched it up. Oh, <laughs> yep. Yep. And just said whatever I wanted to say. Like, how dare I? But it was because no. I was so, and I was also teary, so I couldn't see I was gonna anything. Say really emotional yeah. when you were up there. Yeah, absolutely. I was so emotional. Yeah. Like, yeah, and so yeah, so I didn't do anything <laughs> that I was asked to, but it 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 worked out in the end. And Sia and her crew and the equality campaign were very happy with how it all went, and and that's all that matters. But yeah, that was a very bizarre, surreal. <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that will never happen again, obviously. But a very surreal, but obviously incredibly like sp- special, unique moment to. Where did yeah. the emotional aspect of it come from? Because as you were walking up on stage, like everyone was cheering yeah. and it was like, it was incredible. Is that what set you off or? Um, I think it was, a, I think it was a mix of things of, yeah, seeing like people, like I hadn't, so it had nothing to do with me because I hadn't even said anything and people yeah. stood up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, because it was the first mention that night of marriage equality. Sia, who's obviously huge, had committed to, you know, doing this and, you know, making her platform Mm. one to share what she believed in and what have you. And it was just so to, I've never, I've never been in a situation and it wouldn't matter if it was on TV or not. Like I've never been in a situation where every single person in that room is stand standing up for a beautiful thing yeah um and physically showing that and what have you and you know also seeing it it was a very diverse crowd um and I'll never forget like in the mosh pit there were two women holding hands and they just lost you know like that they they were crying and hugging each other and what have you and I was just like this is such a human thing that we're speaking about it's it's been made into politics but we're actually speaking about human beings and then 
when I just started speaking, I real like I don't know. I, I was thinking about all the people that I love um, who at that time didn't have the same mm. rights as me. Yeah. Um, which I've never understood and will never understand and and what have you. And it was just yeah, a very, I can't really I, I can't really explain it, but it was a very um yeah, personal thing when I got yeah, yeah, emotional. Yeah, yeah, that would get me too though, like being up there and everyone yeah. in that room yeah. sharing exactly what you said for a really beautiful cause and then looking down and seeing the women holding hands. Yeah. Like I get like I feel like I'm on the edge of tears like hearing the story. Like Yeah, well it just but in an instant it yeah. because absolutely bizarre. Like yeah. I'm out the back you know, and like there's the Veronica's and Kylie Minogue and, you know, all these kind of stuff. And no one, like I'm surprised I didn't get arrested. Like pe- people would have been like, who is this random girl just just standing here yeah. alone, like with no, you know, purpose or yeah. what have you. Um, and then, yeah, to so I was absolutely terrified. Like I thought I was going to faint or like because my heart was racing so much. And then even just walking out like with the t-shirt on and what have you and then that human response was unmatched to anything that I've ever or or I think will ever experience and then in that moment it just became about people and then really realising what I'd been asked to do Mm. up there which was essentially promote standing up for basic human rights. Yeah. 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 I want to talk about there was an article I was reading um, and I'll just read you the quote to quote stuff back to you. You were saying that people told you you had no right to do what you're doing and that you didn't belong in this space. Yeah. Um, I wanted to know how you've, like, first of all, tell us about that and how you've managed that criticism because I know that was probably a challenge that you weren't expecting was having your own sexuality questioned amongst all of this. Yeah, it was really interesting because I was genuinely ignorant to the fact that my sexuality would be an issue and why I think I was ignorant to it is because I have never consciously being like I'm a like I'm a straight person or I'm an ally or you know what and like you're gay and you're trans and putting all these like essentially labels labels on people or identifying them purely based on their sexuality and Mm. or gender like I've I've just never looked at people or the world that way so at no stage did I think I was coming into a space in potentially an arrogant manner being like, oh, he's, he's a straight person and I'm going to help. Yeah. Like, there, there, there was yeah. just, there was none of that. So in the, like very quickly it became apparent that this was an issue for some people. So yeah, you know, had members of the hetero community being like, 
I don't get it. Like this isn't our issue as if like we're like or every straight person thinks and feels the same or what have yeah. you. And then also had members of um, the non-hetero and gender diverse community who said the same thing, like you have no right, like there's no space for you here and, and what have you. And I just remember, and it still happened, like it still happens. Mm. Um, and what I always say is that I I don't look at myself as a straight person standing up for LGBT, you know, QI yeah. plus rights. I see myself as a human being who wants to see equality and inclusion for all people. Um, that is literally what we're about and what I'm about. So it, it was really difficult because when it happened, um, and as I said before, like I still stuff, suffer a hundred percent from, you know, insecurity and self-esteem issues and what have you. And that's something that I've genuinely had to work really hard on over the years. And I've still got a lot of work to do, but because I wasn't expecting it either. And all of a sudden this was like, you know, some of the dialogue that was happening um, within the community and outside of the community, I was it was a horrible feeling because one of my biggest fears was ever coming across as being patronizing um to anyone and you know when then when you know I heard people saying like she has no right to be here or I don't trust her she's straight like what's her agenda that is was and is like a really difficult thing to to swallow because I I know why I do this work and you know why step why people in stand up are involved yeah. and what have you and it's for for no other it's for no other reason apart from trying to make sport and the world a bit of a better you know a, yeah. a, a better place. Um, so yeah, Ash, like soup, yeah, I and the way I deal with it is um you know, it's it's easier some days than others, but it's like getting any type of criticism um when that happens. I remind myself of why I started stand up. Um and the ego just goes away completely because it's not, it's not, and it never has been about me. I think about my family members and I think about my friends who are no longer with me. And I think about, you know, the emails that stand up receives and the stories that we hear and what have you. And it's, it's, it's so much bigger than everyone and everything that that's what I remember. And when I remember that it's not, I'm not doing this because of me, it, it becomes a lot easier to, to deal with, yeah. I guess. Yeah. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way through all of this? That if you are genuinely passionate about something that you can, you can make things happen. I doubted so much of my ability for so long um, and, you know, 
yeah, really suffered with confidence and, and what have you. And, um, I'm like genuinely a firm believer that if you are passionate about anything that, and it doesn't matter whether it's big or small or people can see it or not see it, like you will make things happen. Um, and so, yeah, and just like genuinely like self-belief has been a massive one for me. Another thing that I've learned is just how amazing your, like how quickly you find your circle um, of the people who stick by you regardless of what's happening because especially with, I can only speak personally, but with creating stand-up, you know, there was a lot of sacrifices that – um, like just worked so, so, so hard to get it off the ground that I didn't socialise for a really long time and, you know, then you notice the people who, you know, kind of drift away and um, and the people who remain in, in your life and what have you, which is just from a human level has been an incredible lesson um, for me. Another one would be that you just – literally do not assume anything about anyone or anything, even when you think that, you know, um, some of the things that I've, um, been exposed to or have had the honor of speaking about with certain people or, or what have you, um, you just genuinely don't know what someone else is going through and yet kindness and listening to people are just is the most underrated, I think, skill or attribute that anyone can have. Um, And, I mean, yeah, so I like I've I've learned – so many things, but one of the biggest things is definitely looking after yourself and, and setting boundaries, um, setting boundaries. So you remain healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, um, because yeah, people can destroy you and they have no right to, and it's that no one else is going to patch you up to you know, patch you, patch you up together again, yeah. um, apart from you. So, um, a lot of self-love and boundaries is probably, yeah, the, the past year that I've been trying to put into place so I can be, yeah, the best version of myself. What is it that gets you out of bed every morning at 36 weeks pregnant? To <laughs> Not just at 36 weeks yeah. pregnant, but what is it that, that yeah. with all of the criticism and all yeah. of the, the tough times, <laughs> what is it that keeps you going and, and, keeps your head in the game and keeps keeps you putting your head down, bum up and working on this? Yeah, um, the intrinsic feeling and love that I have for humanity and especially people who are treated differently because of naturally of who they are or, you know, one person who feels ashamed or guilty or embarrassed for who they are is one person too many and like the, I might sound like a broken record, but like the people who have left my life and who are no longer here are just a constant, 
Like I think about them every single day. Um, it's not a day that I don't think about them. And there's just so much work to be done. And I don't, I genuinely can't see that passion for change like ever, ever leaving. And even more so being 36 weeks pregnant, I think about who's in my belly and I want them to be part of a better place and be around better people because I think it's pretty shitty at the moment to to be honest and, yeah, really want to teach them that, like, bullying's not okay, treating people differently for who they are is not okay and that I want this little one to know that they can be exactly who they are unconditionally, unapologetically and not only that but, like, when they do go to school and stuff, like, I want that to be embraced as well and not you know, treated as something different. I just, um, yeah, there's a lot of motivations as to why I get up in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. And I think it's, it's one of those things and it's, I mean, I'm finding with a lot of people that I interview on this podcast, like I spoke to about my friend Ben and his experience and the first guest in the first season that was released a couple of weeks ago was, you know, he was bullied in school. Mm. And whilst all these people have managed to, do something amazing with their experience. I it's I want to see a world too where people feel included and that they can be who they want to be and mm. that they can go where they want to go and do what they want to do. Yeah. And that shouldn't change based on who they are or who they love yeah. or what they dress like or what they look like or and such yeah, absolutely. And I just think that so much of it actually just comes down to respect. Like I will never sit here and be like Everyone should think the same. Everyone should feel the same. Everyone should love one another. Like there are assholes in the world and they're going to stay assholes. There are good people in the world and there's everything in between and what have you. But it's when that intentional, you know, or like complete lack of awareness comes into play um, where people are made to feel Mm. excluded because of who they are. Like not everyone has to get along and be obsessed with each other, but we have to learn how to respect each other and like make people feel welcome for who, like Mm. for exactly who they are unapologetically. What's next for (laughs) stand-up? Well, so now that we have these programs, which we're so incredibly proud of, um, uh, two, like over the next two years, uh, which will go so quickly, but over the next two years, we obviously want to grow the work that we've done. So that includes training up more elite, um, athletes, recruiting more clubs, going into them, securing more funding. So we can go into grassroots levels for free. Um, we want education, what we do to be for free. So it's, kind of doing exactly what we're doing now but on a on a much bigger scale and then you know future goals look like you know we'd love to move out of Victoria you know spread throughout Victoria um outside of Victoria sorry and um just be as big as possible yeah and help as many people as possible yeah well that's that's all we want to do really so yes yeah amazing I like to finish these episodes with five rapid fire okay questions. yeah Are you awesome. ready? yeah <laughs> all right number one uh what's your favorite movie 
don't have one. <laughs> like literally don't. Yeah. I know. Isn't that horrible? But I, I don't have one. Love, love. Favorite category? Love psychological thrillers. Yeah, okay. Like right. love a thriller, love a drama. Yeah. But then also love a really bad rom-com. So there's, yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. Number yeah. two, uh, who inspires you? Beyonce. <laughs> Why Beyonce? I just think that she is the epitome of, I know people will be like, oh, my God, lol, like who does this person think she is? But I just think she's like the epitome of strength and standing up for female empowerment and I, I'm just absolutely obsessed with her. <laughs> I love it. So no. Beyonce, if that you're makes listening, your last answer. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Number three, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Doing good. That's like I've sadly been to like too many funerals, to be honest, and I, I think – and I, I always think about my own. I know that that might sound really bizarre, but it's like I just uh, whether I'm popular or not does not bother me at all. I wouldn't be in this space if, <laughs> if, it, if it did. Um, but I do want to be known as someone who was unapologetically themselves, stood up for what she believed in and hopefully helped hopefully helped some people along the way amazing number four how would you describe yourself to a stranger um awkward (laughs) um passionate awkward Passionate and awkward. Yeah, it's a nice combination. Yeah, bizarre combination, but that's definitely the two things that come to mind. Love it. And number five, what's your favourite quote? History will be kind to me because I intend to create it. I love it. Good. That's a beautiful place to end it. I think yeah. we'll finish that. So we have time for. I've loved having you here. Thank yeah, you. Great. Thank you so much for for having me. No, it's I'm been delightful. Good luck with the rest of the pregnancy. <laughs> Thank you, lovely. <laughs> Thank you. If you are a long-time listener of the show, you'll know that stand-up events maybe sounds a little bit familiar. Andrew Owen in season one rode her bike from Adelaide to Melbourne to raise $22,000 for stand-up events. So I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode. It was called Fearless. Also, if you loved this episode and you want to hear more from another perspective, I interviewed one of my best friends in the first season. The episode is called Man Up. My best friend's name is Ben and he spoke about his own experience of discrimination in football. If you want more of Angie and if you want to know more about Stand Up, you can head to their Instagram at Stand Up Events. Of course, as always, you can find me on Instagram at Exceptionally Average Podcast. Come and say hello. But the best thing that you can do right now is take a screenshot of your phone, share it on social media, tag me, tag Angie, tag Stand Up. We'd love to share this message and get a little bit more of Stand Up out there in the community. They're doing incredible things, so please, please 
please do that. I will be back in your ears next week. I'll see you then. Bye.